Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're continuing in our all-in series. We're in week five, week five, and in four weeks we, we went through the book of Ezra, which I hope you enjoy that. And as we looked at the book of Ezra and talked about all in, there were four things that we, did, that we focused on, and we found that going all in, week one, all in brings what? Opportunity. Opportunity. That when we go all in with the Lord, the Lord brings us this amazing opportunity for his glory. Week two, we looked at how when you go all in, all in brings opposition. It's a fact of life. When you go all in with the Lord, when you go all in with anything, there's going to be opposition that's going to come your way. So we talked about that and how to overcome it. We also, in week three, we talked about that all in brings order, right? There's this order because God is not a God of chaos. He showed us how to walk. He showed us how to live. And in that, he's established the law that shows us how to live and how to flourish. He's our creator. We follow him. Uh, Week four, that was last week, we talked about how all in brings the temptation to compromise. There's always temptation to compromise. Satan is the great tempter. And so we talked about that and how temptation is normal, but through the power of Jesus Christ, we can overcome. Today, as we head into the book of Nehemiah, so we are in the book of Nehemiah, and we're looking at how all in positions you, positions you. All right, stick to the script, Dwayne, stick to the script. Nehemiah chapter one, it says, in late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hen and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But If you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. And here's what I want us to see today. As we head into this new season, as we head into the opportunity that God's given us, the thing I want you to see today is that when you go all in with God, God positions you. When you go all in with God, 
He positions you. When we commit to go in, we need to recognize that God positions us, and positioning is very important, but that God positions us for his purpose and for his glory. As I shared earlier, Ezra was just part one. Ezra returned to rebuild a temple, to rebuild worship, to, to return the hearts of the nation to him. But now, 13 years after Ezra's arrival in Jerusalem, Nehemiah, he comes on the scene, and he's already strategically positioned to be used by God. And I think we need to recognize that, that as followers of Christ, where we are, God has strategically positioned us with everything going on for his purpose and for his glory. And now Nehemiah shows up for this next phase, and the next phase and the next plan in rebuilding. But before we go any further, I just want to take a moment for us just to pause and just to invite the Lord just to reveal to you. And I want you to ask the Lord this question, Lord, how have you positioned me for your glory and your plan? Would you just, just, just pray that prayer to the Lord? As we walk through this today, chapter one of Nehemiah, God, I pray you would reveal to us how you have positioned us. A lot of times we minimize your work in our life. We minimize who we are through you. We minimize the power and the authority that you've given us as followers of Christ. Lord, open our eyes to see what you are doing. You are doing something new. You are doing a new work. Your mercies are new every morning and your call to us. We need to see it. So Lord, open our eyes today to see what you're doing. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. So before we go any further, very quickly, let's look at who Nehemiah was. When we talked about Ezra, Ezra was a scribe, right? The protector of the law, the keeper of the law, the one who communicated. Well, Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a Jewish prophet. And prophets, these were the ambassadors for God. These were the people who, who, who spoke for God. And because they did this, they were often held by strict standards, uh, and, and they were highly accountable. This wasn't something where you just called yourself a prophet and whatever you said went. There was a standard to this. In fact, if someone claiming to be a prophet of God made a false prophecy or did anything to lead people away, the penalty was death. Right? We have a lot of prophets today that have all kinds of followers on social media saying all kinds of things. And often these things are even against what the scripture says. But the accountability here is real. If you led people from God or you said something that you were trying to take that authority from God for your own self, the penalty that we see in Deuteronomy 13 was death. This was the authority that Nehemiah was walking in as a prophet of God. But while he was in exile, Nehemiah was also a cupbearer to the king. And a cupbearer is very important, a cupbearer to the king, this was the last line of defense. Because often, especially in the ancient world, one of the ways that they would try to kill a king is they would try to poison him, right? You've, you've got to eat and drink every day, so they would often try to poison him. So the role of the cupbearer, this was the last line of, of, of defense where before the king would drink that cup of wine, they would give it to Nehemiah and uh, let's see if it goes well with you first. How many want that job? <laughs> The cupbearer had to do that. Now, knowing that, the cupbearer went to a lot of work behind the scenes to go, who's handing me this cup? What does that mean? I mean, you're going, before I take this cup, they, there, was, there was a line of protection that they went through to do that. Cupbearers risked their life for the king. And while it was very dangerous because every drink could be your last, this was also very strategic. This, this was very strategic because cupbearers, they served closely with the king, and they often became trusted confidants because they were right there. They were the ones saying, king, it's good. So they gained the respect of the king. See, Nehemiah, he was positioned to have an audience with the king that would end up being strategic in the future that he had. 
But we need to pay attention to this because it would be very easy to complain and say, look, man, I'm a prophet of God. I'm, what am I doing here risking my life just so that you can have the right wine in your cup? Is my life worth more than a cup of wine? Why, why am I doing that? I mean, after all, doesn't going all in with God position me away from harm? I mean, does it mean that if I'm a Christian, I'm a child of the king, I'm there, that, that means that there's not going to be any hardships in my life, there's not going to be any attack on me because I'm protected? See, this is often one of the biggest confusions that we have about Christianity. It's often when I talk to skeptics or those that are far from God or those that doubt the existence of God, they'll often point and say, well, if God's so powerful, then why is that person going through a hardship? Why are these things happening? And it reflects our view because because a common view today and often our view is that when we talk about the good life, we think that the good life means that it's a life that's free from conflict, right? That if God really loves me, he will remove all conflict from my life. There are even parents who have taken on this view and they, they work overtime to give their children everything that they want, to give them every opportunity that they want, and to push them forward, right? That sometimes they're called stage parents, to put them in every opportunity that they have while at the same time working very hard to remove all conflicts so that they don't have to experience these hardships that often the, the parents went through themselves. They try to take away pain, conflict, and disappointment. Is it good to have a life that's free of all conflict? I mean, is this a secret to life? It's not. That's right. You know, if conflict, you don't learn. Hashtag Steve. Wisdom from Steve. And we also know from research that this is not good. The dangers of this have been well documented. I read a study this week from Berkeley University, and here's what it said. It revealed that overprotective parenting threatens to build a generation of young Americans that are highly risk-averse, they're fearful, and unprepared to become engaged citizens and active leaders. Studies have shown that overprotective parenting can lead to risk aversion, a dependence on the parents, but also a higher risk of psychological disorders, a lack of strong coping mechanisms, and chronic anxiety, which leads to higher rates of severe mental illness. Now, there are times in our life where it's we're because of health reasons or for whatever, we need to isolate ourselves, we need to protect ourselves, and, you know, we're called to love our children, which is to provide for them and help them. And, of course, I'm not just saying take, you know, take a newborn and say, fly, little one, right? That's, that's dysfunctional as well. And, and, unfortunately, I have to say that because we go to one extreme or the other, right? We either put them in a bubble or we go, you know, I've already spent 10 bucks on you. Good luck. Both are wrong, That's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is that it is important to recognize that engagement is important to engage in life, but engagement will always test us, and testing is good. Even though as as we approach midterms and finals, it brings a lot of stress to our life, but it makes you study. It's, 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 It's good for us. See, James 1-2 tells us that we grow when we are tested. If you want to grow, if you want to be strong, you need, I need to be tested. James even says to consider it pure joy <laughs> Yay! when we face trials. He, and here's why. He says, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, let it grow. It's inside of me. For when your endurance is fully developed, that's the word of the Lord right there, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When, look at that. When your endurance is fully developed through the testing, you will be perfect you will be complete, and you will need nothing. Do you see the path to this? 
In fact, often the more that you are engaged, the closer that you are to the front line of the battle, the more that you walk with God and you engage in the world that we are in, the more likely you are to encounter pain. It's a fact of the matter. But pain should never stop us from going all in. See, so many of us love football or hockey, right? Come on. But those who desire to, to play, they recognize it's a contact sport. Even soccer that's not supposed to be a contact sport, it's filled with contact. Some fake it, but there are some. It is a contact sport. But here's the thing. Those who train, they don't train to avoid contact. They don't train to avoid, to avoid the pain that's involved. They train in order to deal with the pain. Hockey players, football players, soccer players, pastors, we all train to engage with conflict and pain. Because why? If you try to live a life where there's no pain, no conflict, you will not grow. You will have serious problems in your life. There'll be no engagement. There'll be no joy. There'll be high anxiety. There'll be all those things that we've talked about. So we train and develop. We don't run to the front line unprepared. We train and we develop so that we are ready to deal with this. Because here's the thing. People who train for this, whether it's athletics or whatever your area of discipline in medicine, science, construction, whatever it is that you're passionate about, they love it so much that they want to go all in. And going in with God puts you on the field. When you sign up for a team, any team, athletics, name the discipline, you're doing it so you can engage. You want to be on the field. See, God didn't make you to be a trophy that he just places on the shelf and go, look at Dwayne. I got a little glass thing around him. I keep the dust off him, and I just take it off, and isn't he lovely, right? That's not what God does. See, the Bible says that we are his hands. The Bible describes us as feet that he uses to bring to the front line, to bring to those who are hurting, to bring to those who need to know about him. The Bible describes followers of Christ as ambassadors. Ephesians 2 says that we, all of us as followers of Christ, we are his tool to work his plan and to do good in the world for his glory. When there's a challenge in this world, when there's someone's lost and there's someone's hurting, God is looking to you and saying, I send you, I choose you. And I've developed you and I've brought testing into your life so that you can grow and be ready for it. See, all the excitement, it's on the field. You want excitement in your life? It's on the field engaging. All the learning and the strengthening, it's on the field. But many pull back from it because all the risk is on the field. Those who risk are on the field. But we have to overcome that through the power of Jesus because all the victory, you want victory in your life, it's on the field. The victory we need in our life, it's found on the field. I mean, many of us watch the Super Bowl, whether we were fans of football or not. But when you look at, the football, at, at that Super Bowl at the end, when they, were, when they were addressing the winners, none of the commentators got a ring for commentating on the game. All the season ticket holders who gave so much of their resources to be there, none of them got a ring. Who gets a ring? It's the players. Those who spent their whole life devoting their life to football, playing, training, strengthening, being injured, having their leg twist back underneath them and some things, we went, oh! These were the ones who got a ring. They got the ring. They trained. They committed to practices. They were committed to the team, and they listened to their coaches. All those things were necessary. 
These were the ones who engaged in victory. See, when we are all in with God, we need to recognize that we are where we are in the right place at the right time for the right purpose, which is God's. We're leading him, we're following him, and sometimes we think that in following God, we need to go to a foreign field, and sometimes we do. I left Canada and came to America. (laughs) And I fell in love. But here's what I've found. That God has a word for you today that's for right where you are, whatever you're doing right now. And a lot of times our world is so hurting because we are fantasizing about somewhere else when God's saying, will you see what I can do through your life right where you are, in your family, in your workplace, in the road that you walk, wherever you go. I've got a plan for your life right now. Because see, going all in with God, it will move you to respond. When you go all in, there's this movement in your life to where I have to respond. I cannot be silent. I can't stay still because God is moving me. See, when we go all in with God, there's no room for apathy. Anybody who's on the field engaging in a sport, anyone who's on that line, if they are apathetic or they are non-committed, do you know what happens to them? They get hurt. They get hurt because they're hesitant. They're not sure if they want to be there. They're looking around. They haven't been listening to the coach. And they're out there, and they may look good. They may have the size. They may have all the markings of a world-class athlete. But if they are apathetic, if they are second-guessing themselves, they're going to get hurt. And not only that, those around them are going to get hurt because someone's going to blow by them when they were positioned to be there. And now our quarterback, Russell Wilson, gets sacked. Wasn't that sad? See, apathy has no place. But when we realize that God has positioned us, we're ready looking for it. And this is what happened in Nehemiah. See, I believe that Nehemiah was faithfully serving the king when this report comes. He's faithfully serving the king. He's a prophet. He's a cupbearer. He's faithfully serving. But then his brother brings him this report in Nehemiah 1.3. It says, things are not going well for us. Things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So how does Nehemiah respond to this? Nehemiah verse four says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. He said, in fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. See, when we go all in with God, we're going to be affected by the things that are around us. And it's important that we allow this to take place. Because when it says that Nehemiah, he sat and he wept, this was not about him being just an emotional guy. And there's nothing wrong with being an emotional guy. See, this was about him. He knew the prophecies. He knew the plan of God. There was a stirring in his heart. And so when this happened, it represented a loss to him and the nation that he served. But look at how he responded. It says that he did three things. First of all, he mourned. And as we walk through difficulty, it's so important that you don't bypass this this process. How many times do we see one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament, King David, mourning. We don't mourn forever, but we need to embrace these disappointments. We, We need to let it all out. We need to acknowledge what's going on, and it's important that we pause, that we don't just stuff. Things that stuff grow and fester, and then they explode. That's not good. It's not good. You need to embrace it. See, sometimes we move too fast, 
past our disappointments. It is not a lack of faith to bring it to the Lord and saying, this stinks right now. I'm mourning right now, God. I'm hurting right now. The second thing that Nehemiah did, though, is that he fasted. And this is one of the biggest things I think that is missing, especially in Western Christianity. See, we'll, we'll fast to lose weight <laughs> for the flesh. But biblical fasting is about suppressing the flesh and saying, flesh, you are not in charge. The flesh is always out for its own. And we talked about that in the first series of the year, that when the flesh is in charge, it will kill you because the flesh is going to die someday. Be healthy, be all those things, but the flesh is never in charge. See, fasting is about denying it and engaging with God. Don't bury disappointments. Engage with the practice of fasting, biblical fasting to bury your flesh. That's what he did. He mourned, then he fasted, and then Nehemiah prayed. We bring everything to God. And look at his prayer. This is a great model for us, and it's a similar model to the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and he teaches all of us. See, Nehemiah's prayer had three key components. It had worship, it had confession, and then it had petition. First thing that Nehemiah did, he worshiped. He acknowledged God's love and his faithfulness. In the middle of his mourning, in the middle of his disappointment, in the middle of everything going on, he acknowledged you are God. You are sovereign. You are in control. See, worship points us. That's why we begin every service with singing songs. So we sing together in unity. You're worthy of it all. I exalt you, oh God. You're worthy of it all. Our only hope is found as we orient our lives fully and completely, individually and corporately as a community to God. See, prayer begins with worship. But then secondly, and this often follows worship because when we orient our lives to God, we acknowledge There's parts of my life, God, that are not oriented to you. I can sing all the songs, I can clap on beat, most of us. But there's things in my life that have not come into alignment with a complete surrender to you. Not to the wills and the way of the world. So, we confess. Confession is a normal, regular part of a believer's life. Anybody missed the mark this past week besides me? Hello, Dwayne. My name is Dwayne. I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. But I need to be aware of those markers. It's confession. God, help me. Bring me back. Bring me back. Forgive me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart. I love that call to worship today. Create in me a clean heart. See, confession opens the door to forgiveness. And when we're forgiven, then the healing comes in, and it results in a deeper communion with God. And there are some things that you need to confess is between you and the Lord, but there are some things that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you and say, you did that person wrong. And so Jesus said, if you're down praying, and you recognize that you have odd against a brother or sister, what do you do? He said, get up, go to him, take care of it. Take care of it, swallow your pride. Take care of it, that's confession. But then that third part of it, he, went, he did worship, he did confession, and then he did petition. He said, God, you are God, forgive me. He said, I missed the mark, not only as a nation, but my family, we've not followed you. Forgive me, Lord. And then he brings his need. Because, see, when we confess, God's not saying you're no good. Sometimes we think, Lord, if I tell you these things, things you already know, then you're going to say I'm no good. He's saying, no, now I can use you. There's a cleansing in your life. Your ears are more open to the Lord. We've removed all those things. Now, he brings his petition. He says, please grant me success today by making the king 
favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. He prays for his king. See, going all in, it moves us to respond, but in, in, in moving in these ways, as we pray, as we mourn, as we confess our sin, as we petition, here's the need that's, that's going on. Align my heart with you, O oh God. Help me to pray the things. This is what confession does. We confess, we get it out of the way. He guides our prayers, and now here's, Lord, here's, here's the need. When we go all in, it moves us to respond, and it moves us to get noticed. When we walk in these ways, as, as followers of Christ, where we worship the Lord with everything in us, when we come together, but when we are apart all throughout the week, worship when we come together is a reflection of what we've been doing all week. It's a heart that's ready. And we've confessed, cleanse me. Now here's a petition that gets noticed, not just by God, but it gets noticed by everybody around us. See, passion is contagious. When you're passionate about God, when you're passionate about anything, you get noticed. But when you are passionate about God, it gets noticed. I should be more passionate about God than I am about the Kraken. All right? I should be more passionate about God than I am about music or jazz or anything else. Those things are good and those things are fine. But the main passion that needs to come out of my life is my passion for God. And I'm not talking about noise. Some think it's passion is about going, ah, and just, you know, noise gets turned off. COVID revealed that how many had, had to turn off things and you had to kind of shut things down and just kind of go, it's getting a little weird out there. See, I'm not talking about noise. You know, an, an old-timer went to my father-in-law who, who pastored so many years. And he said it this way. Because a lot of times we can think that noise means that we're passionate for God. But he said, you know what, pastor? The emptier the cart, the louder the noise. <laughs> Here's what he meant. He meant that when you see an empty cart, there's nothing holding it in. And it's rattling and rattling. And it seems noisy and there's something going on. But noise does not equate Passion. See, I'm talking about true passion. And I've seen this true passion in everything from the smallest child to the oldest senior. And you've heard me give examples through the years. Some of our dear saints who are no longer with us. They could barely get in and they sat down. They weren't the noisiest, but boy, I looked at them and I went, what a passionate man, what a passionate woman for the Lord. They weren't the noisiest, they were often struggling for breath. But the passion flowed from him. You saw it. You bore witness with what was going on. See, passion for God, it's like a light that shines through it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, you can't hide it because everyone sees it. When you are aglow with God, when you are passionate for the things of God, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it can't be avoided. It is attractive. And see, Nehemiah he was so passionate about building the kingdom of God, about being a part of what God was doing, that the news from his brother, it affected him, and the king noticed. The king noticed. It says here, I was serving the king as wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You, you don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. See, this, this short verse describes that he was faithfully serving the king. There were other things that hurt him. He was in exile. He was in captivity. He had a lot of reasons to be sad, but he, he, he didn't just bear that to the king. He wasn't someone that his emotions were on his sleeves and was out there. He faithfully served the king. He showed up. I've got a job to do. I've got something to do, and I'm going to do it faithfully in my service in reflecting of my heart for, for God. In fact, looking sad could have been grounds for punishment because kings weren't often up for your benefit. They were for their benefit, and 
you know, I don't want to be bummed out when I'm drinking wine. I, you know, he could have been killed for this. But Nehemiah, in this, he was so affected. So much so that he was actually terrified in the middle of this. But see, Nehemiah, he saw the opportunity that when the king asked, what's going on? You've never been sad before. You've walked in integrity before. You've walked it out. What's going on? Nehemiah saw the opportunity. And as we walk through this and as we come down towards, we're on the home stretch here before we have an opportunity to respond. I'm praying that this will cultivate in you the opportunity that's in you. And that you will see the opportunity because he saw the opportunity. And here's what he did. When the king said this to him, the first thing that he acknowledged was his loyalty to the king. He said, long live the king. In the middle of his sadness, he looked to the king and said, long live the king. I respect you. We don't agree with everything, but I respect you. And then he shared his need. He saw the door open. He said, how can I not be sad? The city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. He shared the need, knowing, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is overwhelming. This is why I'm sad, king. And the king responded. And here's what the king said. The the king said, well, how can I help you? (laughs) Kings don't do this for cupbearers. Cupbearers are there to serve them, but in the middle of this, integrity, serving him, I respect you, I'm here to faithfully serve Here's what's got me. Right? He had a big, hairy, audacious goal. (laughs) He'd wept. He'd prayed. He'd fasted and mourned before all of this. See, Nehemiah was ready. See, sometimes we don't see the opportunity because... We've ignored prayer. We've, we've stuffed the morning. We've, we've not fasted. We've not prayed to the Lord. And God's saying, will you get ready? I can open doors, but you need to be ready. You need to be a vessel that I can flow through. So Nehemiah, having done all this, he was ready. And he said, even in this, in his petition, it says that with a prayer to the God of heaven, he replied, in the middle of it. It's like, God, help me, help me, Lord, as I share this. And he replied, he said, if it pleased the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And I want you to notice, the king had some detailed questions. He said, how long will you be gone? When will you return, Nehemiah? But Nehemiah was ready because he'd prayed and he'd fasted before the Lord. See, God will put that in you when we have a life that's positioned before him, Lord, I'm yours. In the middle of this, when I'm hurt, it seems hopeless, but I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to be filled with you. So when he asked it, he was ready, and he gave the king the answers, and the king agreed. He said, okay. See, many of us would have stopped right there. He said, all right, Nehemiah, you can go. That's a miracle in itself. You're in exile, you spend your days sipping the wine to make sure it's not going to kill anybody. And now he's saying, you can go. I think for many of us, we've been like, great, I'll see you. <laughs> but he didn't stop there. See, Nehemiah, he wasn't just looking for, for permission. Nehemiah knew that he needed provision. 
when God puts something in your heart, when God puts something in your life to do, he provides. He provides. See, God gave him a passion for something, and he will always give the provision to fulfill it. See, Nehemiah, he's all in. Been thinking, been praying, he was ready for the moment. And so here's what he asked the king for. He said, I need authority and protection. There's things that, that I'm called to do. I need a letter from you, king, that gives me authority and gives me protection. He said, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed. He was ready. I need letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on the way. He'd witnessed a lot of the stuff being close to the king, and he was ready, and he asked for it. And then he also asked for provision. He said, please give me a letter addressed to Asaph. He knew who he needed to ask. The manager of the king's force instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for the house. He would prayed. He would fasted. He knew who the gatekeepers were. He knew who he needed to work through. He knew who he needed to work with, who may not be favorable with him. And he had this audience with the king. He's like, let's just lay it all out. See, sometimes we're afraid to ask. God opens a door and pushes you in, and you say thank you, and you walk away because you're afraid. And God's saying, why are you afraid when I open the door? This is your opportunity. Don't stop at permission. I've given you authority. I've given you permission. Start going for provision. And there's so many times that you will receive provision from people who don't even acknowledge God. They're not serving God. How many times has that happened in my life? Don't short sell God. Because here's the result. The king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. In all these things. Are we getting it today? God has positioned you right where you are, right for this time, to be used for his glory. And he's trying to wake us up. He said, are you ready to wake up? Are you going to worship me? Are you going to confess your sins so that now you can be fully aligned with my plan because I'm ready to go. God is moving in the city that we're in. God is moving in this community. He's moving in the world that we're in, but we need to be aligned with him, not being distracted by anything else. Everything's trying to distract us. I'm not going to get caught up in anything. I'm not going to get caught up in politics. I'm not going to get caught up in anything but God and what he calls me to do. I want to reach everybody. I want to reach everyone in this community. That's our call to disciple them. But we need to be positioned for him, for his glory. Are you with me today? Do you want to see Shoreline return to Jesus? Do you want to see Seattle return to Jesus? My heart breaks for it. I was walking through Cap Hill just saying, Lord, the burden is still there. I was walking through downtown saying, Lord, the burden is still there. I was walking my dog around the soccer field saying, Lord, the burden is still here. I want to reach this place for you, your glory, not mine. What would the Lord do in our life if we would strip aside every hindrance, every weight, worship him, confess our sin, and walk with him? Your servants, we are listening here today. Don't allow us to be distracted by anything. We lift our eyes to you, oh God. As we take time to respond today, and as you respond, ask yourself, 
What burden has God placed in your heart? What's burdening you today? Are you burdened for your family? Are you burdened for Ukraine? Are you burdened for what's happening at work? Are you burdened? You're like, God, I want to be a light at work, but I'm afraid if I do, I'm going to get fired. Bring that to him. What are you seeking God for today? What are you weeping over? And ask yourself, God, am I ready for the opportunity? If you brought opportunity, am I ready? And ask yourself, what do I need to do to get ready? Do I need to pray? Do I need to confess? Do I need to fast? Do I need to share the dreams with others? Do I need to ask for help? Come and pray, amen. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would, in these moments of response, let your word come alive in us as we respond to you. Your eyes close before the Lord. Say, Lord, where do I make, where do I need to make room? What are the things that I need to let go of? That that Quaker prayer of you, just the hands. Hands palm open to the ground saying, Lord, I let go of everything. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What are the things I need to let go of? Just bring that to the Lord. Before he can fill your hands, he needs to empty your hands. What do I need to let go of? It could be stuff. It could be things. It could be things you're looking at. It could be fears. It could be, it could be control issues. What are the things that God's calling you to let go of? Maybe it's something that you're leaning on, something you're relying on instead of God. You're saying it's God, but it's not God. What do I need to let go of? Is it self-protection? Where I'm afraid to step out because I don't want to be hurt. What do I need to let go of? Maybe there's a result that you're looking for. And God's saying, no, I... I bring the growth. I bring the result for my glory. You're called to be faithful. And because you don't see things moving as fast or the way you want, you've, that's blinding you. What do you need to let go of today? It's his will, his way, his timing, his pace. Lord, I, we let go of it. We give it to you. Maybe it's a relationship. It could be a toxic relationship or it should be a relationship that you're afraid of losing, that you're, you're like, God, if I let go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose it. Trusting the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledging him. And he will direct our path. Yeah, Lord, have your will, your way in our lives. Lord, this is an exciting day. As we let go of things, as we lay it down, Lord, we trust in you and we walk in you because you are God. Help us to recognize, Lord, that when we go all in, you position us. You position us. You strategically place us. And so many of us, Lord, we've been positioned, we've been placed, and you're just saying it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up and to realize what I can do through your life as you surrender, as you let go, as you let go of all the things. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. You know, there will be things in your life that letting go of will be like goodbye and good riddance. <laughs> I'm glad to let that go. But there are other things that are going to be tough. And that's okay. But it's not okay for you to isolate and deal with it by yourself. Get in a group. If you have a group, start sharing this stuff with your group. See what will happen. Here's our benediction, though. Let's say this as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 